This is a special Sunday at New Life Church, and today it's my honor to introduce our special guests. Bob and Connie Wine served as the senior pastors at New Life Church from 1979 to 2013. And that was a lot of faithful years of service. Today they serve as our pastor emeritus. They experienced incredible growth during their leadership, both numerically and spiritually. And it was their faithful leadership that set up New Life to continue to see incredible growth over these past few years. Bob is a personal friend of mine and one of my greatest spiritual influences in my life. I'm so excited for you to hear from him. Uh, he's gonna help us continue our current teaching series in the book of James. So right after our sermon bumper plays, would you please give a warm welcome to Bob Wine as he comes back to the platform at New Life Church. I feel really awkward being clapped at. <laughs> Just want to say thank you. I, uh, I want to say that this is a real special treat for me to be able to be here, and especially to welcome you as a, a church family here in Kearney, but also those watching offline. I remember when we started that ministry, and then as Jeff and I talked, as we started and, and we're planning and the whole process there in uh, North Platte and then in Ogallala. And I'm saying, wow, look, God, what you've done while I was here, you know, and what he's continuing to do. And it's sort of like, I got to be a part of that. And someday you're going to be my age and you're going to look back and you'll say, wow, God did that while I was working what I served. And that's what I want for you because there is a joy. I can't describe how much joy there is just to be able to do that today. So I want to say thank you, thank you, thank you. I would also say that it hasn't always been that way. Uh, when I was in college, I thought I knew more than I knew. Now, I'll tell you what, when you're in college, especially a sophomore in college, you know more than it, you'll ever know. At least you think you do. <laughs> but as I uh, was in college, I, I thought it, there was, there was a song that was really popular then. Now we're talking about a few years back, but it was the song, and you can probably get the gist of that, what that was, is it was uh, Sammy Davis Jr.'s song, I Gotta Be Me. Have you, have you heard that song? I got to be me. You know, I thought this was really, this was who I was. I got to be me. And then I grew up a little bit and found out that me can be good, but me can also be bad. And be, me can also be ugly. You know what I'm talking about? But we start life with those same three parts of us. Remember, you look at a little baby, they're just so adorable especially when they're sleeping. <laughs> and they just, and when they wake up and they can coo and they have a smile and you get a smile out of them, and that's really neat. But then they have a, a cry 
when they get sick or they're hurting or something. You know, they need their diaper change. And so you know that, and well, that's okay, okay, we got that. And then they have another cry that's when they're mad. How many know what a mad cry is in a baby? Is that a pretty one or is that a good one? <laughs> you don't understand what I'm saying. There's that part in all of us. Now, each of us were born to be either king or queen. But we had our own kingdom at that time, and I think maybe that was about as good as it gets. Because we had our parents who loved us as our servants. And as long as they were waiting on us, fine, you know, we would do good and we could coo and we could do all kinds of things when we were little. But, you know, when we were hurt, we need to let them know we can't talk very well, so we give them a cry. They get it. They respond. But if they don't get our food or if they don't take care of us quick enough, we, we have a switch a baby has a little switch. You know what I'm talking about? That switch kicks on, and all of a sudden, you got an angry cry. And then they, they even kind of go so far as to give a temper tantrum cry. We have the good, bad, and the ugly in all of us. And today's message that's taken from James teaches us how to transform that bad me and the ugly me, to how to shift that in so that it's going to be in a better life. We will live a happier life, and the people around us will be happier because there's something that happens. Now, I need to explain this to you because it's going to be important in understanding the bigger picture. The Bible has rules in it, right? But those rules, we oftentimes think, are rules that God, who's a very austere God, and you just got to meet up to his holy standards, and so you don't do them. But please hear me when I say this. The rules in the Bible are not for God. They're not to make him feel good. They are to help us live a good life. For example... There he says, thou shalt not commit adultery. Now, do you think that he's just saying, well, I'm going to keep him cool, so I don't want that to happen. No. He, he, he knows what adultery does to a family and to people. And it's sort of like a time capsule. You know what I'm talking about? It kind of releases in time, and it brings pain not only in the the people around him at, at that time. It brings pain for generations later. And God says, don't go there because there's pain involved. So when we look at some of the rules that he's talking about today, it's sort of like, why would he say that? Well, guess what? He's trying to help us. Can you say him, thank you, God, for that? Amen. So let's unpack a few thoughts and let me just say a few thoughts is really about, about all it is because there's so many more things that could be said about this. So I'm going to have to hit them on a highlight, but basically yet get the concept of it because this passage is so rich with gold nuggets. And it's, it's something that I want to be able to communicate with my heart. It's the bad and ugly sides of you. And there's a part of you, 
right? How many admit that that's, I got that in me? There's a bad and ugly parts of you that we're really trying to look at because they are the things that produce the pain in your life. So let's, let's take a deeper look. Uh, let me begin by asking you a question. How many of you have had a fight with somebody? Not a physical one, but you had a verbal one. Not necessarily a verbal one, but one in your head. <laughs> you wonder, where do those fights come from? If you're married, you say, why do we always fight? I've heard, I've done enough marriage counseling, no, that's a common statement. Why do we always fight? Mom and dad with the kids, why do we always fight? Well, guess what? God knows your thinking, and he's here answering that very question. So let's look at it. James chapter 4, beginning in verse 1. Where do all the fights and quarrels among you come from? Right? He knows what we're thinking. You want what? Things. But you can't have them, so you're ready to kill. Now let's put this on a world stage. We have a big Russia, and we have the Ukraine, and we have the president, or the leader of the Russian, and he looks down at Ukraine and he says, I want that. I want that. I want what they have. Finally, he's ready to what? Kill. Now, you think, oh, well, that's just bad. Hey, listen, we have that on the news all the time, right? Somebody gets mad, they want something, and they are even ready to kill. And some of you have thought you'd like to kind of kill somebody. There's that part in all of us is what I'm trying to say. Here's what he says. You cannot get them, so you quarrel and fight. You do not have what you want because you don't ask God for it. Why not? Because I got it, God, I can make it, you think. And when you do finally humble yourself to ask God, what does he say? You ask and you do not receive because your motives are bad. You ask for things to use them for your own. Now, I know none of you have ever done that. But that's reality to life. Now, it's interesting that he, he points out in this passage three different elements that are selfish desire wants. And these are the things that bring a lot of pain in our life and others. So let's look at them. Let's dig in. Number one, he says, we have a selfish desire to feel good. Pleasures. Comforts. Now, is there anything wrong with pleasures and comforts? No, 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 of course not. That's not the point. He's saying that desire that's coming from that other side and it gets carried away. Because when pleasure or fun or the, I just want to feel good, I just want to have fun, if that is, becomes my number one goal, I'm asking for conflict. The bad me is more interested in my comfort, my pleasure, than in your comfort or pleasure. 
All I think about is making me feel good. And that leads to tension and conflict. How many can relate to what I'm talking about? And it's always that other person that does it, right? No, he says it's coming from inside of us. Number two, the other thing that our selfishness desires is to have things or possessions. And when this is our possessions wrong in themselves? No, of course not. But when the selfish me starts loving things more than people, what happens? We start manipulating other people to get what we want. Isn't that right? We use all kinds of coercive ways, but that's what we're doing. How many really enjoy being manipulated to get so somebody else can have what they want? No. That, you see the conflict that it creates? It leads to tension and conflict when we are having wanting our pleasures that bad. The last, uh, and the next thing, and, and, and possessions. The next thing that I want us to look at is going to take a little bit more time. So it's, it begins in verse 4. It's to be or to have pride. Look at me. I'll draw the attention to me. And I don't know if you, any of you have any of a control factor that you kind of want to control other people. Do any of you? No, don't raise your hand. There's that control. We want to control it because it's all about me. I'll do it my way, as that song said. That's why I'm not so proud of having that as my favorite song a few years back. That pride is there. Now, let's see what he says, and he's got quite a bit to say here, so let's, let's, let's dig in and let's look at verse 4. He says, let's start off with, you adulterous people. Whoa. You say, what? I'm not committing adultery. How come he's... And this is really written especially to Christians, not just, but especially to Christian Jews. He says, you adultery, adulterous people. What in the world is he talking about? I need to give you a little background so you can kind of get this. If you remember, some of you probably never even heard of it, but there was a movie out years back about the Ten Commandments. Have you ever heard of that? And basically God delivered the Jews, the Hebrews, out of Egypt, and he took them around in the wilderness and stuff, and he ends up getting them near the promised land. Aha! And in the process of that journey, they had a very hard time just loving God. God did incredible miracles for them. But they had a hard time. Because, I mean, there were other gods. Fertility gods. I mean, there are all kinds of gods that they had that were in the land at that time. And so they wanted God, but they also wanted another God. What do you call that in, your, in our world when your spouse wants another partner other than you? <laughs> How many think that that's, that's okay? No, I don't think so, because there's pain involved. And God came, brought the people to the promised land, 
And he said, you guys just can't get this. I've talked to you, I've shown you, I've told you, I've done everything I know to do for you. And he says, here's the deal. Those of you who are 20 years and older, you're not going to make it into the promised land. How would you like that one? He said, I've tried, and so now just have it your way. You're not going in. And so they wandered around in the wilderness until they all died, and then, and of course, the next generation went in. My point is this. God, when he says adultery here, these adulterous people, he's very serious about you and I having other gods, other lovers. And we have a lot of things in our world that we make gods. And I like sports. Don't misunderstand me. But we have a stadium and we have a God called the Huskers. Are you with me? Now, does that make Huskers bad? No, 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 no. It all boils down to what it is that we're doing in our own lives. So, Here's what he's saying. Let's go on. Do you know that friendship with the world is enmity? Enmity means mutually hatred. God doesn't like the sins of the world, and the sins of the world don't like God. I mean, that's, that's what it's saying. Don't you know that the, being friends with the world is enmity with God? Therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. Now, I don't know about you, but if I was going to pick my enemy, that was one I wouldn't want to pick. He says, or do you suppose it is of no purpose that the scripture says he yearns jealously over the spirit when you gave, gave your life to Christ, over that spirit that he put in you? He's jealous about that. God's jealous? Yes. He made you for himself. In fact, there's a song that we've sung around here, I know, because I've sung it with you. It's called something like Reckless Love. Do you know what I'm talking about? God will, what does it say? There's no wall he won't kick down in order to come after. How many like that? Yeah, that's cool, that's cool. I don't want God there. Yeah, well, he's also jealous, and he's saying, don't go monkeying around with somebody else. Then verse 6 says, he gives more grace. Therefore, it says, God opposes the proud, the ones that think it's all about them, but he gives grace to the who? Humble, Humble the opposite of proud. Now, we all have that from our childhood. I don't know if some of you work with children, grandkids, aunts and kids, uh, grand, whatever, kids in your life, and if they're in their twos, threes, fours, what is it you think they always tend to tend to do? They want to, they do this little dance, and look at me, Daddy. Do you know what I'm talking about? Who are they drawing attention to? Oh, we look at that and say, oh, well, they're young. That's okay. But you know what? We don't grow out of that very well. Am I right? Because what do we do? We say, watch me by the car I drive. Watch me by the house I live in. Watch me 
by the toys that I have. Are you with, are you, are you with me? Yeah. And it's saying, well, I got to keep my dignity. I've got to keep that. Wait, what's all this about? Do you see, it comes back to that pride. And if you drill down in this whole passage, this last passage especially, it's all talking about pride-filled desire that is wanting to control you and so you can have it my way. Is that making sense? So what do we do? We have this problem. The Bible teaches us this. Pride leads to conflict with man and God. And those who take advice are wise. Now, don't, don't bump this person next to you on that one. But that's true. Pride leads to conflict. And those who take advice are wise. You know, you, that would be a good thing to stick on your mirror in the bathroom. There's some truth in that. What is the problem for these things? It's the me that's not so good and the ugly. So what's the solution? He goes on in verse 7 and gives a solution. I'm glad God just doesn't paint us into a corner and say, oh yeah, okay, I got it, I got it. What do we do? Here's what he says to do. So it's a great answer here. Beginning of verse 7. So place yourselves under God's authority. So who's been your authority before? Me. Get it? It's all about me. And he says, your solution is place yourself under God's authority. He'll come back and say that another way. He says, resist, take initiative to oppose the devil. And he will run away from you. Come closer or come close to God, and he will come close to you. Clean up your lives, you sinners, and clear your minds, you doubters. It's sort of like that double-minded thing that he talks about in the first, his first chapter. You know, one day I'm this, and one day I can't make up my mind. And Clear up your minds, he says. Clear up your minds. Be miserable, mourn, and cry. Whoa, now he's getting... I don't know if I want to do that. Turn your laughter into mourning, your joy into gloom. Humble yourselves in the Lord's presence, then he will give you a high position. The core of each one of these statements addresses the bad me, the bad pride, the bad desires, are you with me? And the need to control. I'm gonna do it my way. And therefore, James, in giving his answer, he aims right to the heart of the issue. He says, place yourselves under God's authority. Now that sounds counterintuitive. If I'm going to have a good time, how can I have a good time if I'm not running things? But trust me, I've done enough, enough counseling, worked with a lot of people, dealt with this old me, 
I'm telling you, it may sound counterintuitive, but believe it or not, it works in real time. He says, place yourselves under God's authority instead of being your own, letting your desires be your authority. Let God be God of your life, not just a friend. Give him total control of every, every, every part of your life, your body, everything. It's interesting, there's a verse that I think has probably meant a lot to me, and I know it has to a lot of people. And it's Paul's words in, to the Colossians. He says, let the peace of Christ, and the next word is a key word, and it says rule. The word rule there is literally uh, translated in our world would be like the umpire. So the umpire calls them safer out, right? That's how it works. And this is saying, let the peace of God or of Christ, let that kind of peace be your umpire. And if you have peace, you're good to go. If you don't have peace and say, then cool your jets. Does that get it? That is what he's really talking about in, when he says, let the peace of God rule your heart. The second thing that he says here for us to do is ruthlessly resist the devil. So how do you do that? How many of you have had garbage in your house and you left it in too long and it starts to stink? I, you know, somebody else left it in the house, not me, but, you know. There's things in our life that we know down inside, our gut tells us, hmm, this isn't really making life better for you or anybody else. You really need to get rid of it. You need to take it out. But you kind of keep putting up with it, and it starts stinking. And he says here, clean up your lives, you sinners. Clear your minds, you double-minded ones, your doubters. Clear it up. Get rid of that stuff so that that temptation isn't there to go there. And, it, and I think it's interesting what the New Living Translation says in the next verse. It says, let there be tears for what you have done. Now, why tears? Paul calls it this. He calls those things that he's been describing here and the tears, he calls that godly sorrow. And for those familiar with the Bible, it says godly sorrow works or creates repentance, which means turn around. So if you want to turn around things in your life, you've got to have godly sorrow. God, I realize this has been a bad thing for all of us, and I'm sorry, and I want to turn around. The next thing he says is the most dynamic and probably life-giving thing you can possibly do, and that is come close to God, and what will he do? Come close to you. Come close to God. Well, that doesn't sound like it's going to be too exciting to do that. That's kind of boring. Come close to God. 
But closeness to God, please hear me when I say this, I'm speaking from experience here. Closeness to God is energizing. There is an assuring thing about it. It builds confidence. And if you want to have an abundant life, the fastest way to get from here to there is clean up your lives and come close to God because he will come close to you. Now get this. When I was young, I had this one guy in my, he, I was a, he was a couple of years older and he was a wrestler in school and he was, he was a big muscle guy. And there was a guy that wanted to fight me all the time. And I don't know why he wanted to fight me. I didn't know what I was doing to him, but he, I guess he thought I was small enough he, he could take me. But you know, when this guy was with me, I didn't have any problems. <laughs> and this is saying, come close to God and he'll come close to you. What do you think that's going to do to all of your enemies? No wonder they're going to run. You see, there's something, there's a value when we get close to God, no enemy can stand against the power of God. Can you say amen? Or praise the Lord? Or... The point of the matter is, coming close to him is a key. The promise is this, he will keep him in perfect peace. How many like that? All who will trust in him, whose thoughts turn how? Often to the Lord. When you fix your eyes on God, there's something about it. There's a perfect peace. His presence is there. Amen. The scripture says, and Samuel wrote this, he says, you, speaking of God, save those who are humble, but you humble those who are... Now, do you still want to be proud? I don't think so. Here the deal is, I don't know if you see this, just think it through. Your attitude determines whether you will be the object of God's opposition or whether his, you'll get his grace. God loves you enough, he's jealous about you enough to use setbacks and sobering life experiences to humble you. And then we wonder, well, what is happening to me? I'm not proud. Oh, okay. <laughs> I'm not saying it's always pride, but I'm just simply saying he's not above that. The only people who don't take advantage of that are the ones who think too highly of themselves, so much so they're sort of like narcissists. They just think, I'm above that. God loves you enough to do whatever he needs to do to tear down walls to come to you. But you have to respond. Now, let's wrap this up by asking the question that we started with. Where do all the fights and the quarrels come from? Is it from the dipstick next to you? Or around you? Or is it from yours truly, the me. Not the good side of me, but the 
bad side of me. Each of us may look good, and we are good, but don't be deceived. There's more than just the good in you. And it's those parts that bring all the conflict in your life and in others. They, these things stand in the way of living the most fruitful, the most healthy sense of self-worth or well-being, the optimal life. It keeps you from having the best life possible. God designed you to live a better life. And I think many of us have had the question, well, I sure wish this would get over with. Things are going to have to get better than what we are right now. But the reality is there are things that need to move us. And he paid the most absorbent price just so you can live this good life. And God's way of guiding you to this end is this. He first pings you. How many of you have an iPhone or an Apple phone or something on your watch? And you ping it, you know, and it goes, ding. Frankly, I I have to use that quite often because I can't find my phone. (laughs) God knows where you are, and when you begin to hear something that's God, it's a ping. You hear things, yeah. All of a sudden, I feel, yeah, that's, that's probably me. That's a ping. And when that happens, believe me, trust me, that's God's getting your attention. And if God's getting your attention, he's there. And he's saying, now is the time for deliverance. Now's the time to walk on water. Because he is the one that enables us to do those kind of things. So as we went through those desires to have, to feel, to feel good, like, man, I just want to have fun, or to be the proud, which one of those in this passage pinged you the most? Your next step is then to humbly admit by placing yourself under God's authority. And if he says to you, Ping, this is one of them. Okay, now is your time to say, gotcha, I'm going after you. I'm going to draw closer to God. This is the time to come close to him and seek his forgiveness. Because when you seek his forgiveness, you are drawing close to him and he will draw close to you. If you are serious about improving your life, God's Spirit has taken the initiative to ping you today. It's important that you acknowledge that and do something with it as soon as possible. Your life, your future, is in your hands today. Let's stand and let's pray. Heavenly Father, We realize that this is a sacred moment. Sacred because you are here. You've pinged us. We know you're here. 
But God, it's sacred also because this is a time of decision for us. You've pinged us, and it's our response to you that is so critical right now. God, I pray that you will help each individual who has sensed a little bit of a prick. May they respond to you. And instead of putting it off, may they run towards you and say, God, I'm glad you pinged me because I know now's the time to deal with it. You are here and you will help me. Thank you, God, for your mercy. We love you. Thanks for loving us even more than we love you. Amen and amen.